You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. So I am not Brian, but I am here to read Ephesians 2. All right. We're going through Ephesians, and uh, right now we're, we did one last week, so it's appropriate that we'd be doing two today. All right. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles there with me, feel free to read along. Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus." For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near, for through whom we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. All right. Thanks, Devin. Great job. Let's give Devin a hand. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's great to hear, uh, hear the word. Uh, preached, hear the word spoken. And uh, if you're not familiar with Christianity, if you're kind of new to the idea, that's why we're together this morning on a Sunday morning is because since the very beginning, uh, Christians, the followers of Jesus have been gathering on Sunday mornings, the day he rose from the dead, to be able to share communion together and to be able to listen to 
his word being spoken. And that word often, as time uh, progressed, first, at the beginning it was just the Old Testament, but as, as time progressed, it became reading things like this, the, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. The Christians would circulate that and read this letter as scripture, and that's why we receive it as scripture today, that it was God's inspired word, not just to the disciples living in Ephesus. And we talked a little bit last week about some background about the book, uh, Paul was uh, an early leader in the, in the Christian church who planted churches all over uh, what's now modern-day Turkey. And uh, uh, Ephesus is a city uh, on the, the, the far western part of what's now modern-day Turkey. And Paul had spent a lot of time there, really invested a lot there. And he wrote this letter to them at the same time as, I believe at the same time as he wrote the book of Philemon's and Colossians. And really his, his intention in writing Philemon was a, a particular situation with a, a guy named Onesimus who'd become a disciple and there was a need there. So he was writing to this guy named Philemon. That's a guy's name, Philemon, who was in the church in Colossae. So since he was sending this letter with Tychicus about Onesimus to Philemon in Colossae, try to remember all that, uh, as he's sending that letter, he said, oh, I'm going to write a letter to the Colossians because, you know, I might as well address the whole church. So he writes the letter of Colossians, and there's a lot of the same people at the end of Colossians as the end of Philemon. You can kind of tell who Paul's hanging out with and what's going on. But then Ephesians also has a lot of the same content as Colossians. If you, if you compare them, they're about 26% word for word the same. So it seems clear to me Paul wrote both letters at the same time. He goes, well, he's, I'm sending these letters. I might as well send a couple more. And, and in fact, uh, Colossians mentions a book to the Laodiceans, a letter to the Laodiceans, which we don't have. So that one he probably wrote at the same time too. So he wrote Colossians, he wrote Laodiceans, which we don't have. We wrote Ephesians, which we do have. So I say all that to say Ephesians wasn't written to the Ephesians for a specific purpose, like a lot of Paul's letters where he's trying to address this issue or that false teaching or this problem. It's more of just a general, here's what's important as a Christian. You know what I mean? So I think it's a great letter for us to study in our series called Rooted, which is how do we live the life that God wants us to live? How do we really thrive spiritually? God doesn't want us just to survive. He wants us to thrive spiritually. And so there's a lot of just great practical lessons in Ephesians. But I like that what Paul does is before he gets really practical and into here's what you need to do, here's how you need to live, he starts with here's who you are in Christ. And so last week from Ephesians 1, we saw that, uh, that Paul told the Ephesians, there's three, three things that, that, that God did for you if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, number one, uh, you have been chosen by the Father. You're special. You, God, God has a purpose for you. you uh, it's not because of who you are. It's because of his purpose to change the world. But he's chosen a few to bless all. And he, you're chosen by the Father. Number two, you're redeemed by the Son. Through Jesus, we're forgiven of all our sins. And number three, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're chosen. You're redeemed. You're sealed. And I gave you the challenge this week to, when you, in your prayer time to, to, say, to pray to God. God, thank you that I'm chosen. Thank you that I'm redeemed. Thank you that I'm sealed. Those are things no one can take from you. Those are things that your circumstances can't affect. And in fact, that affects how you view your, circum your circumstances or your circumcision if you're in the first century. Uh, that was a big deal in the first century. That's probably why I almost said that. Uh, but it affects how you view all of that stuff. Uh, who your identity is in Christ. And then Paul said, there's these, th what, my prayer for you, like if Paul was your church leader and he was going to pray for you, here's what his prayer would be. It wouldn't be, God, take them out of this circumstance. God, heal them of this illness. God, help, help repair this relationship. 
Here's what his prayer was. He says, I keep praying the same prayer over and over and over again. And that is that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened to three things. The hope to which he's called you. I, I want you to know how awesome it is to be a Christian. And what an amazing hope that we have. Number two, the riches of his glorious inheritance. That I just keep praying that you can understand how great it is that we're going to be in heaven forever. That, that, that we are tied into all these promises to the Jews in the Old Testament. Now we're a part of that. I just pray that God will open your heart to how awesome it is to have those riches, the riches of a glorious inheritance, and, uh, hope, riches, and what's the third one? The power, the power available to us who believe. Uh, that, that, that God would just open your mind and go, man, this power, why do I not pray? God can do anything. And that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available in my life. That was what Paul's prayer was for the Ephesians. And I think that would be Paul's prayer for us today. That, that we, would, we would recognize those three things are available to us. Hope, uh, the riches of, of God's inheritance, and the power available to us. So now we're digging into Ephesians 2. Appreciate Devin uh, reading that for us. And we're going to look at, uh, at three things in Ephesians 2 together. Um, you know, the, the t title of the lesson today is The Meaning of Life. Just that, just that little thing, the meaning of life. What's important in, in life? Um, there was a, uh, years ago, there was uh, a, a teenage boy and his friends, a few, probably kind of like the, the crew of boys from Stranger Things, you know what I mean? And they're hanging out in, in, uh, in southwestern France, just out, you know, what, doing what teenage boys do. Out in, in, you know, they like to be out in the wilderness. And, and if they had bikes, then they would have been riding their bikes like the, like the Stranger Things boys. And, and their, their dog, they couldn't find their dog. They're like, where is our dog? And they can't find the dog for a while. Then they realize the dog had been down in a cave. And he had discovered a cave. And, you know, they're calling him. They call him. Finally, he comes out of this hole in the ground. So it was getting late. But they're like, tomorrow, we're going to come back and we're going to explore that cave. Because we're the Goonies, you know, like we're gonna we're gonna see what this is all about. So so the next day they come back with their dog and they go and they explore the cave. And what they found in southwestern France uh, were these these cave drawings all over this cave. And it, it they were from the scholars later were the discoverers. They're twenty thousand years old, and they have uh, all these pictures of animals that are now extinct, like mammoths and stuff, and you know. Uh, saber-toothed tigers and these things that, that were around at that time that humans interacted with, but now they're not around anymore. And, uh, but, but one of the things that was there the most were, were these, they call them hand stencils, where, where somebody would put their hand there and then, and then uh, you know, blow paint maybe out of a straw or something, but some pigment, and they would, they would leave an impression. And so these are real human hands. Uh, stencils of human hands from 20,000 years ago. And there, the, these kinds, of, this is the, the earliest paintings, the earliest artwork of, of human beings anywhere in the world, it's, it's these, it's these hand stencils. And it's not just France, it's also in Spain and in Australia, these Aboriginal uh, paintings. And, um, you know, what that says is that human beings want to leave their mark. You know, we want to be able to say, I was here. Anybody ever put your hands in cement as a kid, you know? How many of you guys did that? I always wanted to do that. I never had the chance, you know? Man, maybe it's not too late. Yeah, put some cement in my house and put my hands in there. Brian Craig, 51 years old or whatever time it is. By then, I'm not that old yet, but 
But, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's this, this inclination. We want to say, I left a mark. I was here, like the Beyonce song. I was here. Uh, I, hear, I hear a yes from Paulette. <laughs> Paul, we're going to have to have you sing that song. That's a good one. Uh, I was here. And uh, Larry Crabb, who wrote the book, we, we just finished a series on relationships. If you weren't a part of that, all that's on our website and on our app, if you'd like to kind of catch up on that. But uh, a lot of it was based on a book called Encouragement by Larry Crabb. And he says that studies show that this is the meaning of life. Here it is. Here's what studies show that every person on earth craves. Uh, relationships, relationship and purposeful work uh, experience, pur pur purposeful work. Like what, what Larry Crabb calls it is security number one and significance number two. That's what everybody wants. They want security and they want significance. They want to have relationships of love that matter, but they also want to have meaningful activity that, okay, I did something. Activity with meaning. Here's a quote. It says, the Bible teaches that people are unique. We bear the image of God. Whatever else that image may encompass, it certainly includes the fact that people are capable of, number one, entering into relationships of love, and number two, engaging in activities with meaning. We are designed for relationships and meaningful activity. That's from Larry Crabb. So he says, yeah, that's, it, it makes sense that studies show that because we are made in the image of God, the Bible says. And that's who God is. God is all about relationships and he's all about work, getting things done. Uh, he's, a, he's a creator. He's a cultivator. Uh, and so we are, we, are, we are the same. And so what we're going to see from Ephesians 2 is that God's plan for you in your life is to provide those two things, to provide security and to, to provide significance, to provide relationships of love and to provide purpose and meaning in your life. That's, that's what God does when we come into a relationship with him in a way that no other pursuit really provides in a lasting way. And, uh, and the one thing I want you to remember is this phrase, and I'll say it again and again just so that you'll remember it. Uh, we are saved on purpose, for a purpose, and we're never alone. Say that with me. We're saved on purpose, for a purpose, and we're never alone. We're saved on purpose, for a purpose, and we're never alone. So I want to talk about those three things here in, uh, in Ephesians. Saved on purpose. First of all, you know, Paul says in, in verse 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So again, Paul is writing to a group of disciples. These are followers of Jesus. They've made that decision to make Jesus Lord of their life. They've been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And now they're living for Jesus. Jesus is Lord. That may be who you are. It may not be who you are. You may have not made that decision yet. You may have just kind of be interested in Christianity. You may have grown up in the church or you're growing up in the church, but you're like, I'm not ready to be a Christian yet. That's okay. You can still learn from what Paul had to say to these Christians, but keep that in mind. If this isn't you yet, this is what God is offering you. Does that make sense? And if this, if you have become a Christian, if you have made that decision, if you have made Jesus your Lord of your life, then, then Paul is reminding you of who you are and who you were. 
And he says, you, all of you, every one of you used to be deserving of total wrath. You were completely dead in your transgressions and sins. You weren't saved because God goes, oh, I I like this guy. He's pretty awesome. He's a pretty good guy. That's not why. Uh, You know, there's examples in the Bible of people like Cornelius who was a pretty good guy. And God did take notice of, of the good things he did. But that's not why God saves us. It's not because of anything good. He might notice some, some good things you did in your life. I'm not saying you never did anything good. But, but who you are spiritually before the Lord, when you compare yourself to God and all of his glory, to Jesus and his absolute perfection, every one of us is totally deserving of wrath. Every one of us is a mess in the flesh. And so it's just a matter of, of how, how are we viewing, how are we interacting with that flesh? What are we doing? He says, you used to follow your flesh. You used to just do what, what, you, what pleased good, what felt good. You did what pleased your flesh. But now you've been transformed out of that. You're somebody different. And he says something we don't have time to really dig into, but that's kind of weird maybe to you. He talks about the ruler of the kingdom of the air in verse 2. Isn't that kind of a weird phrase? You follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So a theme in Ephesians is that of the spiritual battle and that there is a spiritual world. There is warfare going on that we can't see. And that might sound kind of weird. You might go, that sounds weird or that sounds really old-fashioned or I don't know, that, you know we're, aren't we past that these days? But you know what? If you... If you were to talk to somebody a couple hundred years ago about some of the things that modern physics is just now realizing or discovering, or even in the last hundred years that have been discovered, you know that, that, this, that this, this stand right here, this is all pretty much empty space. There is like almost no, you know, like it's just, it's all these whirling particles, but really it's all just empty space. Or, you know, the fact that uh, that the whole universe, everything that is made, it's all kind of pretty much made of math, you know, or just uh, the fact that there are other dimensions, you know, that we, we know height, width, depth, we know time, we know our, kind of our four dimensions. But to physicists, they go, well, there's also these other dimensions or these other, you know, ways of, of seeing or, or interacting with the world that we can't see. Or the fact that there's ultraviolet light or, or infrared light that, that, that other animals can see but we can't see. You know, that, that kind of stuff to somebody a couple hundred years ago would be like, that's crazy. You're, 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 you know, you're talking about nonsense. Or the fact that there's little bitty animals that are living all over your body. That's true. You know what I mean? So, 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 so the fact that, that, that Paul is saying... And you could, you could Google that. Google that. Google what lives on your eyelids. Okay? Please do that. Please do that. There's this certain kind of bug that only lives on your eyelids. It's, it's really cool. It looks like something from a Mad Max movie or something. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> the, the fact that Paul is saying... There are beings that we can't see, or there are forces that we can't see. That's not that crazy. Uh, and really, it explains a lot. Because there's, there's times that you and I go, I, I want to be this person, but I feel like I'm being influenced by these other things or something. Like, like there's something outside of me, even. Why did I do that? And Paul says there's a spirit that's at work in those who are disobedient. That there are spiritual forces that are trying to affect our world, that are trying to bring people down or trying to destroy 
civilization or morality or, or relationships or that are trying to break up families. Or, there, there are spiritual forces at work. And Paul says that is what we were. We were living, we were in, in with that group. We were on that plan. We were enemies of God. And yet, because of his amazing grace, God saved us on purpose. God interacts with us, and he rescues us from that dead way of life. He said you were completely dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead means dead. There's not like partially dead, right? Is that true, Calvin? You're either dead or you're alive, right? I mean, I mean there's mostly dead from uh, Princess Bride. That's true. But for most people, it's dead or alive. And uh, I want to show you this illustration. We had our Easter, the first time we ever met in this space was on Easter. We had an Easter service. And we had these beautiful Easter lilies. And I kept one. And here it is. So, so this, was, uh, this was right here on Easter. But it's not looking too good anymore. Maybe some of the other ones of you took some of those. But Paul is saying, this is you. This is who you were. And yet Jesus transforms you into alive and thriving. That, that can't, this plant doesn't have it in itself. It's not going to come back. Do you know what I mean? It would take a miracle. And that's what God does in our lives. He saves us on purpose. So if you, again, if you haven't become a Christian yet, I just want to appeal to you. God is not, it's not like, okay, I got to get all my things in order. This is what kingdom kids think, especially you guys, kingdom kids. Okay, I got to do, I got to get everything done and all together and I got to be perfect. Then I can become a Christian. No, you become a Christian because you're not perfect. You become a Christian because you need Jesus. You need grace. You need help. You, I can't do this. You can't live the life of a Christian without the power of God in your life. So that's why you become a Christian because, because God is offering you grace. I would rather be alive and not that plant. You know, that's the choice that we have. And that's what uh, I appeal to you for. God is offering you forgiveness and mercy and grace. He wants to save you on purpose for a purpose. God saves us for a purpose. Um, you know, it, in verse 8 it says, It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Say that with me. We are God's handiwork. Isn't that cool? I mean, I don't know if you use that word handiwork. Probably not. Guys are like, handiwork? I don't know. What's that? Uh, you know, it, 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 maybe you want to say we are God's home improvement project. Uh, we are God's fine craftsmanship. Uh, we are God's, you know, restoration vehicle that's in our garage that's being, you know, we're, we're fixing up. Like God has a project. God has a purpose. And, and we are part of that project. We are part of that purpose. We are, you know, that, that's a kind of cool thing to think about, that we are part of God's work in the world. He made the universe, but now his project is us. Now his project is the church, and it's working through us and doing things in our lives. Created in Christ Jesus to what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, God's, so there's God's work, and there's our work that are working together. God's work, our work, working together. We are God's worksmanship. We are God's handiwork. And then God gives us good work to do 
And he set it all up in advance, and it's all part of his plan to, to, to kind of change the world, to transform lives, to bring people into relationship with him, to make eternal impact. The purpose you can have as a follower of Christ has more impact than any other thing you could do in life. And I know that's a bold statement. That's pretty broad. I mean, if you found the cure for cancer, that's pretty incredible, right? But if you found the cure for cancer, you would transform all of human life, you know, because cancer is, you know, gets so many people. But really, are those people still going to die? Are they still, you know, they, they, you, you cure them of cancer. All right. Does that mean they live forever? No. But if someone becomes a Christian, that means they have eternal life. That means the trajectory of their eternity is now changed. When we impact lives and souls for eternity, we're making eternal impact, more, than, more impact than anything else you could ever do. God, again, wants to give us security. We talked about that relationship. We're saved on purpose. God has chosen us by his grace. He gives us a relationship with him. But also significance. The things that God has set in, in, in preparation for us to do are eternally significant. And so God wants to fill that up. We want to be able to say, I was here. I matter. I made a difference. Absolutely everything you do makes a difference. And I'm not talking just about bringing people to church or just about studying the Bible with people or just about helping someone get baptized. I'm talking about everything you do in your life. If you're a representative of Jesus, the Bible says this is meaningful work. This is significant activity. Uh, for example, like, uh, I want to give you an analogy. So my son Jameson, he's 20 years old, and he is in the campus ministry in Long Beach. And he is, he, he's in between jobs. He had one job, and now he's looking for another job. So I gave him some work to do at the house, and I prepared it in advance for him to do. <laughs> it's uh, sanding our banister, because we're redoing our stairs. And so I got the sander ready. I got all the little, you know, the, the, the little things that you put on the sander you got to replace once it gets all full of junk. Sandpaper, yeah, but it's these fancy ones, you know. Anyway, they stick on there, you know, whatever. So I got all that ready. Uh, I did a little bit of it, showed them how to do it. Here's how you do it. Watch me do it. I've done all this, so now you can imitate that, and now you do it. And I watched him do it and kind of gave him a few pointers, then turn him loose. So he's supposed to be working on that every day. He hasn't complained once about it, so good job, Jameson. And, uh, you know, he's learning. He's learning kind of from doing it. So, so this is work I prepared in advance for him to do. Does it benefit our family? Sure. Does it tie into my big vision of our home? Yeah, it does. But, so, I, so that's kind of what God does. He puts stuff up. He sets it up for us. He, he, uh, here's how you do it. He turns us loose. But, but, but I, I, I mention that because the work that he's doing, it doesn't affect how I view him or how much I love him. Or it's not like I'm going to be like, when he finishes that, oh, I love you so much more now, Jameson. <laughs> You know, now you earned favor. You know, before, I don't know, but now, you know what I mean? And it's not like, oh, yeah, you didn't do a good job sanding today, Jameson. No food for you. Or, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it's, it's just like, I know this is good for him to do. It's good work. It's hard work. Uh, maybe he, he doesn't complain, but I bet he doesn't really like it. I know when he first put on the mask, he's like, I can't breathe, you know? Uh, but it's good work for him to do, and it's good for us. So it's good all around, but it doesn't affect how I view him. So I mention that because I think sometimes when it comes to talking about good works, we think that we do these things so God will love us or so God will feel okay about us or, or so now I'm a Christian because I did these things. That's not how God works. God prepares works in advance for us to do, but it's because we're a part of his family. 
because we're a part of his plan, because he saved us by grace. Paul says, it's not from you, right? Did you read that? So you could boast. Because if it was from you, you could boast. Oh, I saved myself. I became a Christian by my good decisions I made. No, 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 no. It's the grace of God. Saved by grace to do good works. And uh, I want to, uh, and that gives us significance. And I, I want to uh, play a, a quick soundbite for you. Um, and uh, this is kind of with the, this idea of significance that uh, I enjoyed this as, uh, you know, because for me, the, the, the thing is, the life is tipping so closer and closer to 50 years old. And, uh, you know, just closer and closer. And that's when it all ends, right? <laughs> no, <just kidding. laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I noticed at different life stages, finding significance in life means different things. But I always, at every life stage, I'm like so fighting for significance. And, uh, you know, I, I've done some music and done some things that have, have spread around in our churches, the different churches in the world. And so, so you know, for, for a time there, it was like people knew my music all over the place and people were singing all of it. We're kind of moving on past that. Like I'm, all the younger worship leaders, I'm sort of like the old has been, you know, sort of like the, um, I don't know, maybe like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe like, maybe like the John Denver of the kingdom, you know what I mean? So... So, you know, so I wrestle with this significance stuff sometimes. And, you know, I still want to write new songs or whatever. But, but it's all right. It's a part of, part of God or whatever. But, but I, I heard this uh, on this podcast, This American Life. And uh, it just made me laugh because I could so relate to this guy and what, what he was wrestling with. So this is a, 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 an actor. His name is uh, Tate Donovan. Some of you might have heard of him. Some of you may have not. Clay's never heard of him, he said. So he's one of those... Uh, Character actors, you wouldn't necessarily know who he is, but you might go, oh yeah, I've seen that guy in something, I don't know what. But he had a recurring role on Friends for a while, and so Friends was a huge show at the time, you know, and it's still a huge show. And so he started to get recognized, and it was a whole new thing for him to be recognized, uh, like on the street or a restaurant. And, and he lived in New York, and he, you know, he was at a Broadway show, and he, you know, he's being recognized, and so I, I'm going to pick, pick up the story there where he's at a Broadway show in New York, and, and that, this is kind of the stage that he's at. I was, ex I, was, I was exactly how I wanted to be. I was doing it. I was doing great. And then the kid with the camera came along. <laughs> this nervous kid. I don't know. He must have been 16 years old. He's in a rented tuxedo. Unbelievably, like, shy and awkward. And he's got, like, acne. And he's got a camera in his hand. And underneath the marquee is his date, who is literally like a prom dress, and she's got a corsage, and she's really, you know, nervous and sort of clutching her hands, and he sort of comes up to me and he sort of mumbles, you know, something like, you know, something about a picture. And I'm like, oh, I just feel for him, so I'm like, oh, absolutely, my gosh, sure, I have no problem, my God, you poor thing. And, and I go up to his, to his girlfriend, I wrap my arms around her, and I'm like, hey, where are you from? Fantastic, uh, going to see the play, that's great. And the guy is sort of not taking the photograph very quickly, he's just sort of staring at me, and he's got his camera in his hands, and it's down by his, like, chin, you know, and... It, and uh, she's very stiff and awkward, and I, you know, I don't know what to do, so I just lean across, and I, I kiss her on the cheek. And I'm like, all right, come on, take the picture, hurry up. And finally, he sort of, like, snaps it. And 
uh, I'm like, okay, it was really wonderful to meet you. And he just like st stammered over to me and was like, um, could you take a picture of us? Oh. And the whole time, he just wanted me to take a picture of him and his girlfriend underneath the awning of the play. He didn't want a picture of me. He had no idea who I was. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story, you know, just because it just exposed what an idiot, you know, we all are. We all just want everyone to be like, oh, yeah, me, 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 you know what I mean? And uh, I could just relate to that feeling of, Oh, you know who I am. You know what I've done. And then the person is like, "Wait, who are you?" You know. <laughs> but 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 I, I read that because the the, the things in life will, will, that that we look to for significance or we try to find purpose in, they don't really last. Even if it is like you know you become famous or something, it doesn't really last. It doesn't really last. Um, I, I saw this one clip of uh, who's the guy that wrote all those songs, um, Barry Manilow. And he was, uh, he was on the show. He, this is later, you know, towards the end of his career or, you know, kind of his career is sort of over. Or people don't know who he is. This is like in the 90s or something. And, and he's somebody, this woman is supposed to do Barry's makeup. And there's a couple guys in the room. And so she's like supposed to do Barry's makeup. And she, she goes to somebody, which one is Barry? <laughs> and Barry Manilow heard it. And he's like, oh, it's ridiculous, you know. <laughs> But so even, I mean, Barry Manilow, he was the big thing at one time, but it doesn't last. It, it has no, it's ephemeral. But God wants us to have real purpose and real meaning that really fills us up. Jesus says it's like living water. It fills you up in a way that nothing else does. And I want to give you uh, an analogy of how our grace and, and work fit together, but I'm going to have to save it for next week. So I'm going to talk about the Golden Gate Bridge next week. All right, so come back and hear about the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, last thing, we're never alone. Saved on purpose, for a purpose, and we're never alone. Um, here in this passage, and again, I'm running out of time, so we'll have to dig into this more next week, but he uh, talks about how we are, are now together, not we were separate from Christ, verse 12, but now he pulls us together, he puts us, we, we were foreigners, but now he makes us not just citizens, but family members. We're a part of God's household. Verse 19, no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. And so God makes us one in Christ and God gives us relationships with all kinds of diverse people. So we always have a relationship with God, even if you feel like nobody else is there for you. But you also have people who are going through the same struggles and who have come from the same places, and who can identify with you, and can relate to you. And we, we, we have these connections that God gives us that are only possible in Christ. Only possible in Christ. And in Christ, our diversity is celebrated. The more different you are from somebody else in your mission point, that's awesome. You have more to learn from that person. And it makes you a better person, a more well-rounded person. Uh, now, that doesn't come natural. In the world, people tend to just kind of click together with people who are just like them. Or, or on, on social media, people that think just like them. We have all kinds of diverse opinions in this group. Politically, we have diverse opinions. We come from different places, socioeconomically and educationally, and we have different ethnicities represented here. There's all kinds of different age groups, uh, but we can all learn from each other and celebrate one another, and, and uh, we're never, ever alone. Um, 
uh, I'm, I was going to tell you a story, but I'm going to have to save it for next week. I'm going to tell you a, a funny story. Uh, I want to close, though, with this. Wh where did this come from, this thought of uh, we are saved on purpose, for a purpose, and we're never alone? You go, wow, that's a really cool, catchy, pithy you know, statement. I love it. I did not come up with that. Uh, I heard it from a guy on a podcast who's a, a, a brother. Uh, there's a brother named uh, Travis Alberton uh, who's in the Orlando church, and he started a podcast, and it's called Practical Christianity. So he's a brother, uh, one of our churches, that, or part of our fellowship of churches, the one in Orlando where my best friend uh, Marshall Mead is. So he's in this church, Travis is, and he has different people on his podcast, but he had this, this brother on there that um, has a ministry now of, uh, of helping people uh, with depression and he himself really battled depression severe depression and uh, he in, in fact uh, attempted suicide and and then he came back from that and now he uses his experience as a ministry to help other people and, and it's cool that the people will bring him into high schools and have him talk to all their kids and and uh, God's using this ministry that he has now but before we take communion I wanted you to hear his story uh, but when he was on this podcast, this was the mantra that he said he tells himself when he's dealing with depression. I was saved on purpose, for a purpose, and I'm never alone. I was saved on purpose, for a purpose, and I'm never alone. He tells himself that to help himself with his thinking. You know, when his thinking gets off, or I'm, not, I'm no good, or uh, why even try, or nobody would care if I wasn't even here. You know, those kinds of thoughts that depression brings. This mantra goes through his mind. I, I was saved on purpose, for a purpose, and I'm never alone. And that helps his thinking to get back on track. So this, this is the guy that I learned it from. His name is Sam Eton. And so I thought before we take communion, it would be great to just hear his testimony, and then I will uh, come back up and pray for communion. Amen? So I'm going to turn it over to Sam Eton. You know, I've, I've never loved holidays. That Christmas magic, that Christmas spirit, it's never quite found me. Christmas always felt more stressful than anything else. And a lot of it felt a little fake to me, like let's all pretend that we love each other and this is great for this one day a year. But a week later, we'll be back to the same fighting and yelling. I grew up with an alcoholic father who just, because of that disease, caused a lot of pain. My dad left when I was 12, and my mom was working two and three jobs to keep us afloat. I got a job when I was 14, um, but we were kind of in this constant cycle of just trying to make it. Uh, middle school, I, I was killing it. I had straight A's, I was on the basketball team. Um, as soon as high school hit, I couldn't concentrate, I couldn't focus. On the outside, most people didn't know. I held it together pretty well, um, but every day was a struggle. I used to write on my math papers, I hate my life every day, over and over. Um, and I was just uh, really, really struggling. The one thing I really did enjoy was music. And so after high school, I went off to college to be a music teacher, but my problems followed me. So I started to cope with drinking and uh, inevitably that made everything a lot worse. I mean, at that time, I didn't even really know what depression was. I never knew that just simply being alive and breathing could hurt that much that I could be trapped just in this, this room, this prison of pain, of hating who I was and not wanting to be alive. And, you know, late at night, I, I would start Googling um, suicide. And more and more of those thoughts crept in. Um, more and more it became something that I was actually thinking about. So then in November 2011, everything just really hit rock bottom. This 
girl that I'd been in love with in college was marrying somebody else. I really hated my job, felt like I was terrible at it. I just couldn't take it anymore, and I couldn't see any way uh, that things would ever get better. And so I gave myself an ultimatum. I decided that on December 25th, on Christmas Day, either I would take my own life or I would never think about suicide again. Like, enough was enough. So I woke up on Christmas Day. I put a note on the bathroom door that said, please don't come in. And uh, I sat on the floor for most of the day, just sobbing. Uh, finally, late in the afternoon, I was staring in the mirror and uh, I just started counting backwards from 10. First it was 10 and nine. And I remember seeing all these images of my friends and my family and these happy things in seven and six. And I remember seeing just the worst moments of my life of abuse and neglect in five and four. Finally at three, uh, this question broke through, just this, this feeling. It was like, have you really given life everything you've got? I'm not sure that you have something in me changed it was just this like feeling in my chest of of i mean i guess i would call it hope um, now i would call that god uh, and finally uh late at night i sat in this abandoned parking lot in downtown minneapolis and i just watched the minutes tick by 11 58 11 59 midnight i had made it I decided to stay. Before the attempt, I definitely knew who God was, but I definitely didn't invite him in to how I was living my life. And I knew that there had to be a better way of living than the way I was. And so I just cried out to God. I just said, God, if you are real, I'm gonna need you to show me how to live a better life. It certainly wasn't an instant fix. Like I wasn't instantly healed of depression and suicidal thoughts, but I believed that with the help of God, I actually could change. I could pick up the pieces. And every time I took just a little baby step in following him, uh, and whatever that looked like, whether that was in the counselor's office or into church when I didn't feel like it, every step just was this slow process. Um, and I woke up seven years later at 30, and, and life's pretty good. Today I teach elementary music to first through fifth graders, and I love my job most days. I started my own ministry. I get to travel all over the country and talk to people and kids who might be battling depression and suicide and, and tell them that there's hope. And through all of it, just the trajectory of my life changed. That moment when I decided to to truly follow what God had for me. I don't talk about it much, but Christmas Day is always just a day now that feels like a second birthday. Now it's this day that I not only celebrate that God sent Jesus in the world for us to help us, but it's this day that, that God showed up for me and, and saved me and gave me a new chance and a new life. In Christ alone, Hope is found, He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are 
believing that tomorrow will be better than today. No matter what that looks like for you, no matter how hard things are, how good things are, it's just knowing that God can and will meet you there, and He's gonna, He's gonna bring you something even better than you ever imagined. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, God, thank you that uh, as Sam sang about in Christ alone, our hope is found. He is our light, our strength, our song. And that's only because of his blood and his body given for us that uh, we can have purpose and meaning and real uh, eternal life. And God, thank you that uh, you stoop down into our lives and you rescue us and, uh, as we sang about earlier. And Thank you that you care about us. And even though you're the creator of the whole universe, uh, almighty power that you have a tender touch and you care about each person in this room. And I pray every person here would take a step towards you today. I pray you bless this time of meditation as we commune together uh, and remember your body and blood given for us on the cross. Uh, thank you that, you that you save us on purpose, for a purpose, and we're never alone because of Jesus and uh, his sacrifice. And uh, pray that our testimonies to one another can encourage each, each, one another to, to keep going and keep on the, the long journey towards heaven where we're all headed. Uh, bless this time. Uh, uh, thank you for your body and blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.